You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Now let's look at some glimpses of uh, Imam Hassan and Hussein interacting with the Prophet as we examine the family life of the Prophet. I'll mention now a few Sunni hadiths over here just to show you that it's not just in our hadiths that the Prophet was very close to Imam Hassan and Hussein. This is also found in Sunni hadith. So this hadith is mentioned by Abu Ya'la al-Musli in his Musnad. He says the Prophet was praying. When the Prophet went into sujood, Hassan and Hussein, peace be upon them, they came on the Prophet's back. The people wanted to prevent them from going on the Prophet's back. So the Prophet ashara ilayhim and da'uhuma. He signaled to them, no, let them, it's okay, leave them. Then the Prophet when he finished his prayer, he put them in his lap and he says, Man ahabbani If you really love me, love these two. Then the Prophet says, In another hadith, leave them. I love these two and I command you to love, to love these two. If they ever come, even if I'm praying, don't think they're distracting me. I want them to be on my back, that's okay. So this is one source that we have. Another source is one that's narrated by An-Nisa'i, one of the famous works of hadith, Sunan An-Nisa'i. So Abdullah ibn Shaddad, he narrates this hadith from his father. He says one time we saw the Prophet come for salah and he was carrying Hassan and Hussein. Then the Prophet put them to the side. He started his salah, Allahu Akbar. Then we realize that the Prophet prolonged his sujood unusually. He said, I thought maybe the Prophet finished his sujood because it's not normal for him to continue that long. Maybe I didn't hear him say Allahu Akbar. So it's like I raised my head to see what's going on from my sujood. I saw the child on the back of the Prophet and the Prophet was still doing sujood. So I went back to my sujood. When the Prophet finished his salah, the people said to him, Ya Rasulallah, you prolonged your sujood. We thought something happened. Were you receiving wahi, revelation? Did you feel ill? What happened? The Prophet says, no, none of that happened. I was not receiving revelation, nothing happened to me. But my dear son basically was riding on my back. I did not want to rush him. Can you imagine Rasulullah, the greatest of God's creation? The Quran says he doesn't say anything without the permission of Allah. Giving a child this treatment, who does that? And look at the wording of the Prophet. This is in Sunni hadith. Look at the wording of the Prophet, brothers and sisters. The Prophet didn't, didn't, doesn't say, I, I, I didn't want to hurt him, throw him from my back. No, no, the Prophet says, I didn't do a thing because I didn't want to rush him. 
Yani I didn't even signal to him, yalla, you know, it's time for you to get off my back. I need to, you know, sometimes when that happens, your kids on your back, you kind of uh, raise yourself to, sh- to tell them, okay, yalla, you know, move now. The Prophet says, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to rush him. That's how much the Prophet loved them. And then subhanallah, in tafsir al-Tha'labi, which is a Sunni tafsir, al-Rabi' ibn Khuthaym, he says to some of those who were present in Karbala, he told them when he saw the heads on the spears after Karbala, he's like, I swear by Allah, you've killed heads I see over here, that the Prophet would kiss their lips and he'd have them in his lap and this is how he would treat them. How did you manage to see Hussein killed like that when the Prophet would treat him like that? So the more you read about how the Prophet treated Imam Hassan and Hussein, the more it's shocking what happened to them, Allahu Akbar. In another interesting hadith that Ahmad ibn Hanbal and others have narrated, basically once the Prophet was in the house of you know, Imam Ali and Lady Fatima, or maybe in his room and they had come over and the Prophet goes to sleep. As he goes to sleep, Imam al-Hasan said, I'm thirsty, give me or I'm hungry, give me, feed me something, basically I want milk. So the Prophet went to I think a goat or something over there and he milked it, then he came to feed Imam al-Hasan. See, the Prophet is now wanting to rest. Imam, uh, Lady Fatima and Imam Ali were already asleep. See how much the Prophet loves his family. He doesn't call his daughter, my daughter, get up, your son is hungry. He gets up himself. He goes and he milks the animal himself. Who does that? And he brings it to Imam al-Hasan. At this point, Lady Fatima is awake, she comes. Imam al-Hussein, he, according to this hadith, he tries to take the cup. The Prophet says, no, Hassan, you drink and then Hussein, I'll bring you another cup. Lady Fatima asked him, Ya Rasulullah, do you favor Hassan over Hussein? Because you insisted on giving the cup to Imam al-Hassan. The Prophet said, no, I'm not favoring him, but he asked first. And so to honor his request, I'm giving him and I'm making another one for Imam al-Hussein. So it just shows you how the Prophet beautifully would interact with these situations. Any, is there any pro- anything problematic about this hadith? Remember it's a Sunni source, so we have to verify that the content is compatible with the status of the Imams. Is there anything unusual or no? It's just showing the compassionate side of the Prophet and that the Prophet is teaching parents, you know, if, if you have a child, and the child made a request first, honor that. And then go to your next child, like teach them that. So maybe it was a way of teaching them. Any questions on that? By the way, we have a hadith from Imam Ali salam. This goes back to our first discussion, you know, is this act unusual? And basically the, the Imam salam says, there was a state of extreme thirst for the Muslims. 
So Fatima السلام, brought Hassan and Hussein and they were really thirsty. They were young and they couldn't handle the thirst. She told them, Ya Rasulullah, they're young, they can't handle this thirst. So the Prophet took Imam al Hassan, he basically put his tongue in the mouth of Imam al Hassan. The Imam السلام, began to suck on the Prophet's tongue until he was relieved from his thirst. So this was a miracle that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet uh, to Imam al Hassan and then to Imam al Hussein. Here's another interesting hadith in Sunni sources that shows you how the Prophet was playful with Imam Hassan and Hussein. So Abu Huraira he narrates this hadith, he says once Imam Hassan and Hussein were wrestling, they were playing, wrestling with each other. So the Prophet he started to encourage Imam al Hassan, he told him Ihan Hassan, Ihan Hassan, meaning he's rallying him, he's cheering him. Fatima she basically told him, Ya Rasulallah, Hassan is older, yani if you want to encourage one of them, encourage Hussein, you know he's younger, so he needs more cheering, <laughs> why are you encouraging the older over the younger? The Prophet says, O Fatima, the reason why I'm saying, Hassan, I'm cheering you, go for it, is because I saw Jibra'il on the other side, he was telling Hussein, Hussein you go in, you go forward, so I wanted to bring some balance. This is a Sunni hadith by the way, not in, in our sources that I'm reading you. So it shows you how the Prophet and Jibra'il gave importance to the household of the Prophet. When you have a child, Jibra'il is there, he's cheering him because he's wrestling, you're not going to follow this man after the Prophet, you're going to follow other people. Isn't this Sayyid Shababi Ahlul Jannah? Isn't this your religious source? How can you abandon someone like that Jibra'il who has a billion things to do? He's the guardian of God, of God's message. Imam Hassan and Hussein are playing, he comes and he becomes a cheerleader basically. What is that state? And this is in Sunni Hadith. What does that tell you about this family? You abandon this family after the Prophet and you go elsewhere for your religious guidance? That's that's tragic, that really is tragic. Ibn Asakir by the way, another source is Ibn Asakir, he mentions this hadith that basically, um, this is not from Abu Huraira, this is from another companion that Imam Hassan and Hussein they were playing, they were wrestling and so the Prophet encouraged Imam Hassan, so Lady Fatima told him how come you encourage the older not the younger, he says well I saw Jibra'il encouraging Hussein, so I wanted to encourage Imam Hassan. Another example of the Prophet's severe attachment to Imam Hassan and Hussein, we have a number of sources such as Tirmidhi, such as um, Ahmad ibn Hanbal, a number of Sunni sources, they mention that the Prophet would be on his pulpit, on his mimbar, giving a speech, speaking to the people, captivating them, when suddenly the Prophet disrupts his speech, he stops, and in fact, according to one Sunni hadith, the Prophet just runs abruptly from the mimbar. Imagine, imagine a scholar is giving you a speech and people are gathering, suddenly he forgets about the people and the speech and he runs to a child. 
And according to Ahmad ibn Hanbal, the Prophet says, Wallah ma darayt anni nazaltu min minbari. It's like, I swear, I don't even know how I came. Because he saw Imam al-Hassan wearing, uh, Imam al-Hussein wearing a long garment, so he tripped, he fell. The Prophet felt so moved to see his Hussein just fall, just trip. It's not like he really hurt himself, he didn't bleed, he just tripped. The Prophet says, I even forgot where I was. And he rushed to Imam al-Hussein to carry him and comfort him. Look at the treatment of the Prophet. In, in this Sunni hadith, the Prophet says, وَمَا مَعْيَ عَقْلِي وَمَا أَعْقَلْ Now, we need to also protect the integrity of the Prophet because this hadith is claiming the Prophet says, I basically didn't know what I was doing anymore. I was not in my senses when I did that. And then he read the verse, They are a source of trial for you, wealth and your children. See, to make sense of these hadiths, the Prophet knows exactly what he's doing. It's not like the Prophet forgot he's in the middle of his speech. No, the Prophet is sending a message to these companions. Because some of these companions who are sitting in front of him, they will participate in slaughtering these two. Either poisoning them, killing them, fighting them or slaughtering them. The Prophet wants to make a scene, wants to make it so dramatic, so no one on the Day of Judgment has an excuse, Oh Allah, I forgot the Prophet really loved them that much. No, no, no. The Prophet did things no one can forget. Which speaker have you seen in history suddenly disrupts his speech and comes running after a three-year-old child? Who does that? The Prophet deliberately did that. He made it seem to them that khalas, right now nothing in the universe is more important than Hassan and Hussein. It's like I even got baffled, I don't even know what I was saying. To send a powerful message that if you follow me, love Hassan and Hussein. don't kill them, don't stand against them. Today the Ummah, are they showing that love of the Prophet to Hassan and Hussein? Let's be very honest. In many parts of the Muslim world, on Ashura, they congratulate each other. Is that how you honor Rasulullah? He would cut his speech abruptly to rush to Hassan and Hussein. And these are, remember, I'm reading Sunni sources here, not Shia sources. So no one says, oh, you guys are making this up. This is in your own sources. And this is Rasulullah sallallahu the greatest of God's creation. Everything he says is by direct command of Allah and revelation. And this is how he treated them. A sermon, a sermon, who would do that? According to one hadith, which has been narrated in Sunni sources, from Sufyan al-Thawri, from Abi Zubair, from Jabir, Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari, who was one of the top companions of the Prophet. He says, دخلت على النبي صلى الله عليه وآله والحسن والحسين عليهم السلام على ظهره. He says, I once came to see the Prophet and I saw Hassan and Hussein on his back and the Prophet was on his knees. Have you seen when sometimes you sit on your knees so a small child can climb your back? Then listen what the Prophet would say. This is in Sunni hadith, brothers and sisters. The Prophet would tell them, Ni'mal jamal jamalakuma. What's jamal in Arabic? Beautiful. Not jamil, jamal. Camel. Yes. The Prophet is telling his grandsons, what a beautiful camel you have. Can you imagine Rasulullah saying this? 
the Prophet would not say anything like this to anyone else. And in fact, had he said this to anyone else, it would have been inappropriate. You don't call yourself uh, a camel that someone's riding. This is the, the greatest creation of God. But the Prophet would say this for Hassan and Hussein. Because he's demonstrating to his society, to all Muslims throughout history, Hassan and Hussein are literally part of me. Husseinun minni wa ana min Hussein. I'm from Hussein, Hussein is from me. There's no difference between us. Hussein is me from every aspect except prophethood. The prophet is a prophet, Imam Hussein was not, but he's literally a part of me. So in this Sunni source, Jabir says the prophet told them, Ni'mal jamal jamalukuma. And the best writers you are. This is not an emotional statement that the Prophet is saying. Some people say yes, you know, that emotional aspect of a parent, grandparent kicks in and you say things like that. No, with Rasulullah. The Prophet knows what he's saying. وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى as Surah Al-Najm states, إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَى Everything the Prophet utters is by the direct revelation of God. Allah wanted, commanded the Prophet to treat Hassan and Hussein like that. When you examine the Prophet's biography, don't forget these scenes because these scenes will set the stage for the future. If you want to know who represents Rasulullah, from whom do you get your teachings? These images of the Prophet's life will answer that question for you. In another hadith, which is attributed to Umar ibn al-Khattab, he says, رَأَيْتُ الْحَسَنَ وَالْحُسَيْنِ عَلَىٰ عَاتِقَيْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ I saw Hassan and Hussein on the shoulders of the Prophet. فَقُلْتُ Umar says, نِعْمَ الْفَرَسْ لَكُمَا I told them, Hassan and Hussein, you have the best horse that you're riding. Because they were riding the Prophet's shoulder. So he wanted you know, Umar to say some nice words to them. He told them, you're so lucky, you have the best horse. How did the Prophet respond to that? The Prophet said, And they are the best horsemen. In other words, the Prophet endorsed what Umar said, how he commented. He said, yes, I am the best horse for them, but they are the best riders too. Imagine Rasulullah. Do you know how old the Prophet is when he's doing, he's in his late 50s. The Prophet's almost 60 years old when he's doing this. Hassan and Hussein are three, four, two, two to three. Imagine that brothers and sisters, how the Prophet would treat them. The Prophet loved Hassan and Hussein so much, such that oftentimes when they desired to eat something after days of near starvation and hunger, he would ask Allah to produce a miraculous food or fruit for them. According to this hadith from Tha'labi, from Al-Imam Al-Sadiq from Al-Imam Al-Baqir he says, مَرَضَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَعَلَيْهِ فَأَتَاهُ بِجَبْرَئِيلِ فَأَتَاهُ جَبْرَئِيلِ بِطَبَقٍ فِيهِ رُمَّانٌ وَعِنَبٍ He says, once the Prophet became sick, so Jibra'il came with a platter of pomegranate and grapes. فَأَكَلَ النَّبِيُّ مِنْهُ The Prophet ate from those fruits. فَسَبَّحْ 
The Prophet praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. ثُمَّ دَخَلَ عَلَيْهِ الْحَسَنِ وَالْحُسَيْنِ فَتَنَاوَلَا مِنْهُ Sorry, the فَسَبَّحْ meaning the fruit itself praised Allah. It glorified Allah. Remember the Quran tells us that everything glorifies Allah. So when the Prophet ate from those grapes and pomegranate, it's, it actually praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It said subhanallah. Then Hassan and Hussein ate from it. فَسَبَّحَ الرُّمَّانُ وَالْعِنَبُ The pomegranate praised Allah. The grapes praised Allah. ثُمَّ دَخَلَ عَلِيٌّ Imam Ali came, he ate from it and it also praised Allah. Then a man from the companions of the Prophet came to eat from that tray. The fruit did not do tasbih, unlike the members of Ahlul Bayt. فَقَالَ جِبْرَئِيلُ What did Jibra'il say? إِنَّمَا يَأْكُلُ هَذَا نَبِيٌّ أَوْ وَصِيٌّ أَوْ وَلَدُ نَبِيٌّ The Prophet says only a Prophet is allowed to eat from this fruit or his successor or one of his children. This is something reserved only for them. So this shows that Imam Hassan and Hussein, even though they were young children, but they had this very special status such that Jibra'il granted the permission to eat from that fruit and the fruit glorified Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let's talk about the love of the Prophet for them. Salman al-Farisi says, I heard the Prophet say, Al-Hasan wal Hussein ibnaya. Hassan and Hussein are my two sons. The one who loves them loves me. And the one who loves me is loved by Allah. And whoever is loved by Allah, Allah takes him to heaven. And the one who hates them, hates me. And the one who hates me is hated by God. And the one who is hated by God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will throw him in hell on his face. The Prophet would regularly mention this to his companions. Listen to this hadith from Tirmidhi, a Sunni source. He narrates this from Anas ibn Malik, one of the companions of the Prophet. He says, the Prophet was asked, From your family, from the Ahlul Bayt, who's the most beloved to you? He said, Al-Hasan wa Al-Hussein. Hassan and Hussein are the most beloved. And then he would tell his daughter Fatima, bring me my two sons. I want to embrace them and smell them. This is how the Prophet would treat his two grandsons. His two grandsons would generate so much joy to the Prophet, such that according to a hadith by Aisha, the Prophet would forget his hunger when he would see them. Can you imagine? Aisha says the Prophet was hungry. He had nothing, literally, virtually nothing to eat. Has that ever happened to you in your life? You know, many times we forget our heroes and role models what they went through. Aisha says, for days the Prophet went without food, near starvation. We forget about that. When you remember the tragedies of the Ahlul Bayt, remember the hunger they would go through regularly. We've never gone that hungry. What's the most you've gone without food? 18 hours, 20 hours? Sometimes the Prophet for three days, he would go without any food, without a grain of rice entering his stomach. Too often we forget that.
This was life, this was regular life for the Prophet and the Imams of Ahlul Bayt. Let's, let's appreciate them more. And remember the only reason why they went through that is for us, so they become sources of guidance for us. So Aisha says the Prophet went very hungry, he had nothing to eat. So he told her, Hatta get, get out my cloak. I told him, where do you want to go? You know, when you're that hungry, shivering from hunger, where do you want to go? I'm going to the house of my daughter Fatima. Why? I want to see Hassan and Hussein. When I look at Hassan and Hussein, my hunger dissipates, it goes away. Imagine Rasulullah in moments of near starvation, he goes to Hassan and Hussein. He sees them, the hunger goes away. How did his ummah treat Hassan and Hussein? Rasulullah, according to Aisha's testimony, when he would view them, he'd, he'd forget his even physical pain. Is that how we think of Imam Hassan and Hussein? When you think of Imam Hussein, when you read his ziyarah, when you go to his ziyarah, do you forget your pain? If you do, then you're following the footsteps of the Prophet In another beautiful hadith, which is mentioned in the book Bihar al-Anwar from Salman, he says, I came to see the Prophet And then I came to say salam to Lady Fatima So Lady Fatima told me, notice that Salman was one of the very few companions who had the special permission and honor to go and talk to Lady Fatima. Because other companions were not granted permission to walk into the house of Fatima and to speak directly to Fatima. Some only, like Jabir, he had that honor. Salman was one of those companions allowed by the Prophet to go into the house of Lady Fatima and speak to her directly. So he says, I went into the room where Lady Fatima was and she told me, Ya Abdullah, O oh, servant of God, Do you see my two sons Hassan and Hussein? They're crying from starvation, from hunger. We have nothing to feed them. Take them with you outside, take them to their grandfather Rasulullah Maybe the Prophet can give them some food. He says, I took one of their hands, I carried the other, I went and saw the Prophet The Prophet saw his two grandsons shivering from hunger. He told them, Malakuma ya Hasanai, oh my two Hassans, what's, what's the matter, what's happening? They told him, Nashtahi ta'aman ya Rasulullah. We, we desire to eat some food. See how polite they were with the Prophet. Have you seen kids when they go hungry, how they react? All they said to the Prophet, we desire to eat some food. The Prophet raised his hand in dua and three times he says, Oh Allah, give them food, bring down the food. Ya Allah. Salman says, I saw Allah answered the prayer of the Prophet when I saw a quince appear in the hand of Rasulullah. Quince is safarjal in Arabic. 
but the quince that I saw is like nothing I've seen anything before, it was so white and it was so fragrant and it looked like the most delicious fruit on earth, by the way it's highly mustahab in Islamic law to eat quince, have you ever eaten quince? You should, it's the food of prophets, hadiths indicate the diet of the Muslim should never be void of quince, we should regularly eat quince, you can eat it directly or you could eat it in a curry or with a food, it's called safarjal, it's available, you can buy it here in the US. It looks like a big apple, have you seen it? It's like an apple that's big, enlarged, safarjal, the quince, do you know here where they would sell it? <laughs> in any case it's, uh, I know, I know in California, uh, they, they, when we were there they used to sell it, but I'm sure they also have it here, quince, yes, safarjal in Arabic, it's, it's the food of prophets, it's highly highly recommended for pregnant women while they're pregnant to eat the quince, it, it has amazing health and spiritual effects on the child, it, it increases the chances of the child becoming righteous in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. Nabi Muhammad was he a vegetarian? Because according to some of the Sunnah um, scholars, like I looked up something online, um, a very famous uh, Shaykh, his name is uh, Hamza Yusuf, he talked about how Nabi Muhammad was a vegetarian and he did not want to eat any meat whatsoever. And he always gave uh, meat to people whenever he was offered meat from somebody. So whenever he was offered meat, he would give that meat to somebody. And he basically kind of like wanted to um, restrict himself of only being a vegetarian. Is that an authentic hadith? According to our correct um, and authentic narrations that describe the lifestyle of the Prophet and the diet of the Prophet, that is not accurate. The Prophet was not a vegetarian. In fact, in Islamic law, it's makruh to be a strict vegetarian. The Prophet loved lamb and he would say that no food is more beloved to me than lamb and it's specifically the shoulder of the, of the lamb. So the Prophet was not a vegetarian, yes the Prophet did not eat meat regularly out of humbleness and because he wanted to share whatever he had with people, so if someone would donate a sheep to the Prophet, the Prophet would tell Aisha just keep a shoulder and give the rest. Uh, interestingly in one hadith when the Prophet did that, she told him, Ya Rasulullah, just a small shoulder and the rest we give it, then what is it that remains? Just a shoulder. The Prophet told her everything remained from the sheep except the shoulder. What does he mean? When we gave the sadaqah, everything else, that stays for us till the day of judgment. But the shoulder that we kept for us, we're eating it, so that's gone. Because she said, look, everything's gone except the shoulder. He said, no, everything stays but the shoulder. So, so the Prophet was not a vegetarian, he would actually eat meat. Oh, no, he was not no, he was not a vegetarian and in fact the hadith states, make sure, make sure that 40 days don't go without eating meat. Yes, we have a hadith that says going 40 days without meat impacts your attitude negatively and your spirituality negatively, yes. So why do the Ahl Sunnah, why do they... Because Hamza Yusuf, he's a very famous. Um, maybe, maybe they've looked at some stories of the Prophet going for days without food, maybe, 
or maybe during the days of uh, severe poverty because meat was expensive. Okay. So the Prophet during that time, uh, he avoided eating it so he can share whatever he had with the people. So maybe he took that out of context and he thought that the Prophet was a vegetarian. He said he was similar to a vegetarian in the, in the video that I watched. He was talking about how he was similar to a vegetarian and he read, um, you recommended that people become vegetarian. No, no, that's not accurate. Did the Prophet eat meat every day? Absolutely not. Was he a vegetarian and he avoided meat? No. No, when meat would be donated to him, he'd eat some meat and he'd give, he'd give most. So he was not a vegetarian and the Prophet never advocated for Muslims to be vegetarians. He told them be moderate, don't eat meat every single day, be moderate. Every once in a while, every other day, you know, once a week, fine, you can eat it. But the Prophet prohibited Muslims from going for 40 days without meat. To the point where the hadith says, if you're broke, you're poor, you can't afford meat. The hadith says, go and borrow money to buy meat at least once every 40 days. You're welcome. So Salman says, I saw the quince, the safarjal in the hand of the Prophet. So the Prophet split it into two. He gave one half to Imam al-Hasan and he gave another half to Imam al-Husayn. Salman says, when I saw this fruit, I craved it too. <laughs> you know, I looked at it with desire, I wanted to eat it. The Prophet noticed that I'm looking at the fruit, I want some. And remember, the Prophet was generous. In, in, a, in a normal search situation, the Prophet would have given half of it to Salman. The Prophet told him, Ya Salman, Hada ta'amun min al Jannah. Ya Salman, this quince, this food is from paradise. Jibra'il just brought it. No one has the right to eat the food of heaven except on the Day of Judgment after you pass your test. After the hisab is over, then you enter paradise and you eat from the fruits of paradise. So the Prophet politely told Salman, sorry, you're a good man, you're a good companion, but you're not allowed to eat from this fruit. Only us, the Ahlul Bayt, were allowed to eat heavenly fruits in dunya. As for others, you have to wait till the Day of Judgment.